Hello, friends, and welcome to another brand new episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. I am your host, Joe Webb, and this is a podcast for spiritual exiles, for all of us who are looking to to grow and develop in, in some kind of faith and spirituality outside of the walls and the fences of the institutional church. And I'm so excited to get rolling with this episode um, because we have a brand new co-host in the co-host chair today, my good friend, Heather Moore. Heather, how in the world are you? I am fantastic. So it's great to be here with you guys, Joe. I know we have collaborated in several ways over the years as friends and colleagues in that order. In that order. Um, that, that's important. In that order. Yep, because yep, otherwise it's weird. Um, that's right. So we've been picking each other's brains for years, was on the podcast early in the day, and have been doing some blog work for us at right, Accidental yeah, Tomatoes. Yeah. Um, and these days I'm a... Uh, hospital chaplain. So I do healthcare chaplaincy and um, that's kind of the realm that I'm in these days. I know it's been a an interesting several years and you guys have kind of plucked along as as I've been meandering over things. So it's good to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. I'm so excited. Well, um, we've been talking about, and before we kind of get into the meat of what we want to talk about for this episode, um, I, I, I think, you know, it might, might be a good time to sort of just like give the folks a little insight into some of the things that we've been talking about as we go forward into, into this next season here of the podcast. Um, so, you know, we, we've been chatting and um, kind of texting back and forth and had a couple of zoom calls and, and, you know, we, I always introduce accidental tomatoes as a podcast for spiritual exiles. Um, and I think that's still sort of the heart of who we are. You know, the, the first four seasons of the podcast have focused very heavily on um, on deconstruction, spiritual deconstruction, religious deconstruction, um, you know, religious trauma and all of that stuff. And that's still going to be, you know, very integral to the kind of work we want to do. But Heather, as you and I have been talking over the last several weeks, um, I think we've sort of seen that that maybe it's time to make a little bit of a shift um, towards sort of more the the continuum of deconstruction, which is really what we're going to talk about in this episode. Uh, but then also um, really kind of honing in our focus on some of the really cool things that, that you and I get to see kind of have front row seats to um, as Appalachians, right. And, and this whole, this sort of Appalachian Renaissance that, that we've kind of been witnessing and, and not really defining very well yet, but, but I think, you know, our, our, our kind of guest list <laughs> for the season has a, a lot of Appalachian folks. And I think there's some, um, we, you know, when we talk about this, this idea of being a spiritual exile or being in some kind of spiritual deconstruction, like Appalachian context leaves or um, it, um, it leads to, I guess, a really specific context or a really specific experience uh, of those things. So, yeah, what do you, you want to um, add? Anything yeah, to that? I think the the Appalachian context so much has been in exile that you know we're finding ways for rebirth and for sort of regeneration in a place where exile is abundant. And um, I'm really excited to see the ways that some of the deconstruction work that we've done and our friends and colleagues and folks in the communities have done that um, we are seeing a lot of new beauty and cool things that are going on mm. in Appalachia. And, um, you know, as I guess 
globally as folks um, kind of move from the deconstruction and sort of that grief of the situation, we now move into kind of where am I? I'm not, mm. I'm no longer where I was in the initial stages of the disenfranchisement, but I am growing and I am changing. And what's, what's the meat that helps gird yeah. my faith in my journey now, you know, that wasn't helpful early in the days, but is no longer relevant for where mm. I was either. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that this season. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's actually a really kind of good segue into kind of specifically what we want to touch on today, kind of as an introduction to what, to where we're going, you know, for the rest of the season. And that's um, this, this idea of the changing pace of deconstruction. Um, You know, I've told a lot of my own deconstruction story in the earlier episodes of this podcast, and I'm, I'm happy to get into that some, but um, where, where do you think like deconstruction started for you or, and when did you even first maybe recognize that that's what's happening or that, that, you know, that, you know, that whole deconstruction language maybe gave you sort of a lexicon for, for the experience. Mm. I'm trying to figure out how much to share. Cause <laughs> I mean, my journey has been really interesting. Um, you know, if I were to put a pin on it, I think, um, originally, and I'll, I'll be brief with the original bits cause that's a long story, but um, back in, you know, gosh, 2001, when my father passed away, um, that kind of broke my faith in a way that I, I never expected. And um, it was a very traumatic loss. And so I didn't see my faith in the same way because my dad was a pastor. And so um, that was, I think, the first crack in the glass. Mm. But I didn't start to put it together a little bit more until I started hearing folks say like, uh, everything happens for a reason or God needed another oh, yeah. angel. And that, that broke me um, in ways that I, I have done a lot of work over the years to really sit with that grief. And um, I think that's probably part of the reason why I do chaplaincy work now, mm-hmm. um, you know, making meaning of that in that way now. But um, over the years, you know, I saw the institution for, I guess, what it was and I was part of that and then the process of change happened in me when I started to go to school and started to visit other expressions of faith and different religious traditions um, even outside of Christianity and I really saw that you know there was so much truth to be found not just in my own in my own setting, um, which for me is United Methodist. Um, and there's a beauty in it. And also it's not the entire picture. And so I think for me, seeing those other avenues started really opening that, that crack in the vase. Mm-hmm. Um, and through a lot of years of talking to people, especially um, LGBTQ friends that have been hurt by the church, um, I, you know, the, the way that I was used to was no longer, um, not just fruitful, but was no longer healing for folks. And that, that broke my heart in ways that Mm. I, I had a hard time being part of a faith tradition that couldn't be a source of life and renewal for all of its children. And, um, I think that was ongoing, even through my 
commissioning and ordination, um, I saw that in new ways. And I think my ordination really not gave me the permission, but I, I felt like I had permission to go ahead and just say those things out loud. Whereas before I felt like I was under the microscope. So yeah, um, yeah. I think the deconstruction has been ongoing and um, I don't know that I'm done yet. You know, yeah. like, here we are. I see, I see folks in the hospital and um, I see so many different places of pain and grief and um you know, the questions of why and who and what do I do with all of this? Yeah, so yeah. Um, it's a continual kind of thing. And and I love that work. I think that's part of what draws and keeps me in, in this work is sitting with folks in those questions. Yeah, yeah, that's oh, man, that's just beautiful. I um, it, it just triggers so many more thoughts in my brain. Um, <laughs> I, I, I what you were saying about sort of being under the institutional microscope, I think. This just, you and I, you know, are both ordained clergy people in the United Methodist tradition. And, mm -hmm. and I think there's something really profound about that when you're part, uh, and if you're, and if you're not from the United Methodist, um, kind of community or whatever, it, this may not make sense to you, but because we are what we call a connectional church, right? We, we're literally a global denomination and not just, you know, a lot of other den denominations are either national or regional or, you know, they may have a global component to them, but, um, you know, within the U.S. and outside the U.S. are sort of governed differently. Um, but but all of that, because all of that is in our DNA as United Methodists, mm -hmm. I think there is a tendency for us to feel like um, we don't maybe have as much autonomy as... Mm -hmm. maybe some of our clergy colleagues in other denominations might, and that there is, there is a system to which we are beholden. Right. Um, mm -hmm. that, and so, and especially when you're in that, like, because of the way we do ordination, which we don't have time to get into now, but it's a, it, you know, it's a, it's a pretty cumbersome process, right. That we go, those of us who become ordained that we go through and, and you do have, you know, committees of people kind of, overseeing your work and interviewing you on regular bases and you know mm -hmm. um and i think i think it's I'm, i i really really what you said really resonates with me about the kind of the difficulty of deconstructing your faith your spirituality you know the even the the institutional trappings right uh, you know we mm -hmm. deconstruct all of those things as you were in the middle of it right yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. It can be it can be really um, intimidating, maybe is the best word, um, to to try to speak your truth um, in a system where you at least on some level. And I can only speak for myself, but on some level where you kind of have to worry about you know your job. <laughs> I mean, you know, mm -hmm. if you if you really say everything you're thinking, and I think you know just to kind of extend that when you kind of when you get to the point you know where you've now been ordained. Um, and one of the things in our tradition that, you know, that goes along with ordination in the, in the liturgy is, um, this, this line, take thou authority, right? That, yeah. that we are, our denomination, um, has, has now given us the authority to be, you know, leaders and spokespeople. And I, I think you're right about some freedom coming with that, but there's still sort of that institutional tension that I think we all kind of feel. Does that, does that kind of resonate? Yeah, it does resonate. And I think what you said, take that authority, that for me, um, 
it wasn't just the institution that I needed that permission from. I think it was myself to say, mm. you know, I, I've done all of this work and I, I've been a faithful person continuing to grow and strive in my faith, even if that didn't look like what the church expected of me. Mm. Um, and, you know, my, my faith journey is different in a way because all of ours are unique, but I needed that permission for myself to say, this is my spiritual expression and it's a little bit more liberal than what many folks are, mm. are accustomed to, but that doesn't negate its worth and value as a, a, a lens for spirituality. And I didn't see that before, but now being on the other side of, of that ordination, um, it is freeing. And, um, I'm, I'm sad in a way that I needed that to give me the freedom, but in a way I'm also grateful that, um, I could use that as part of my deconstruction process mm, to, yeah. to really step into that next stage, you know, to be able to be free to experience what's mine and what's not mine. Yeah. Yeah. You, you had mentioned in your own, um, in your kind of narrative there about, um, you know, seeing harm done to our LGBTQ plus, uh, siblings. And, and that was sort of, if I had to pinpoint like a, a place where my deconstruction started, it would be probably around, I can't remember what year it was, um, 2008, 9, 10, somewhere around there, um, where, where a good friend of mine, um, growing up, uh, came out, you know, in his mid forties, probably were, there might, might even been into our fifties at that point. And, um, you know, just he, he actually he was blogging at the time. He wrote wrote this really really incredibly moving story, and you know his coming out story sort of locked a bunch of pieces in place for me that had sort of been floating around in my brain that that I couldn't quite put together. Um, and, you know, I was just at that time starting to um, experience what we would call you know a call to ministry, which is language I'm not super comfortable with anymore, but I, sure. you know, we don't have time to write a whole new dictionary right now. <laughs> but, yeah. um, but, you know, I, I was wrestling with, you know, like how do, how can we, you know, be faithful to, you know, our traditions and to scripture um, and still hold space for people who have very, you know, traditionally been excluded. Um, and, um, and he, reading his story, just, it, it really, like I said, things clicked into place and then um, it was just sort of a snowball effect from there as I started to explore, like, well, if I'm questioning this, that leads me to question this and then that. And then, th and that's sort of how deconstruction works. You know, it's, it's never, it never comes all at once. It's, it's this mm -hmm. thing you don't even really recognize until you're probably, you know, a year or two into it and you're like, Oh crap, <laughs> this yeah, is what's like happening a, to me. Yeah. A deconstruction lasagna where, uh, you know, <laughs> there are so many layers and, you know, like I, I remember going to, um, so it was like my freshman year of college was kind of the beginning, you know, you go to a new place to see all the things. And, um, you know, my, my friend came out to me and that was kind of the, one of the ways that I was like, I know this person is beloved by God. And I know mm -hmm. that this church doesn't allow them the space to be, and then on the contrast, I'm like going to drag shows, right? Like I love drag shows and I'm seeing these folks who are beautiful people and trying to just exist. And, you know, mm -hmm. whether they're mm -hmm. um, 
whether they're straight presenting, they're gay passing, you know, whether they're trans folks, they're just trying to exist. And I, I, I couldn't fathom that these folks were not beloved children of God. And so I think for me that, that initial base layer of pasta (laughs) was the foundation for me to really, um, rethink who I was, what it meant to be, um, a child of God who was created in God's image. Mm -hmm. And then to move on, like, what does that mean for the way I live my life, for the way I treat other people, the way that I do or don't engage in, you know, civil activity? And and how do I keep, how do I keep my faith, right? It wasn't a question of like, let me just toss it out the window. I never, I never said, screw my faith period, which is totally valid if some people need sure, that. Sure, right? yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, but I never went there. And at the same time, I did say, this no longer serves me, and this no longer is a way to view the world where I can be okay. Yeah, yeah. So um, I think that deconstruction was honestly so life-giving, even though it felt really sucky Mm -hmm. at the time Mm -hmm. yeah yeah um you know like years of cynicism and like what do i do with all of this pent-up anger but um you know that's grief too and so yeah yeah um grieving that and talking through that with um with mental health providers i think gave me the space to say this is one stage and part of my life and um you know that cycle of disorder was okay yeah, and I didn't yeah. have to have judgment about having doubt. Like that was okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still remind myself, you know, like Jacob wrestles with God and, you know, I picture so yeah, many yeah. different things, like whether it was, you know, a, a verbal exchange back and forth or whether it was like literally wrestling or a combo of both. I don't know. Yeah, but yeah. that's kind of been my image. And now that, you know, you step away from the fight, like what does that look like when you're, recovering and yeah. going forward. I love the, I love the Jacob metaphor. And that, that's also something that when I was early in my, my early stages of deconstruction, I guess, uh, because I love the lasagna metaphor, by the way, I, you know, um, because it does like, <laughs> Coin it just that. Keeps, yeah, <laughs> but uh, in fact, that might be the new um, title for this episode. <laughs> um, but the, the, the image of Jacob wrestling with God, right? Whether you take that literally, historically, or figuratively, doesn't matter. The yeah. story the story it tells um, holds a, a lot of meaning. And, it, and it, in a, you know, early, like I said, early on for me, it, there was a lot of meaning in that. And what really stuck with me out of that story was um, Jacob walks away from that, you know, incident, that, that divine encounter mm-hmm. um, with a limp. Right. And it's and to me, it was it was not the wrestling with God part per se. It was there's this Jacob now has this permanent limp, you know, and and that's and the text kind of alludes to the fact that, you know, um, he that was that was now part of who Jacob was. You know, Jacob gets renamed Mm -hmm. Israel and, you know, all kinds of great metaphorical stuff comes out of that. But um, that that idea of i am i am now walking with a limp and i'm always going to have that limp right and that's mm-hmm. okay like and yeah, i yeah there's I, no yeah yeah like weight around the limp 
you know, right. it's not a, a negative thing. You know, it's not a, a stereotype against the disability of a limp. Yeah, but it's exactly. actually changed you fundamentally. Yeah, yeah. In, in fact, it, I would say it's a strength, you know, um, because it, and, and what it is to me, it's it's this living sign that you have had some sort of an authentic encounter with the divine. Um, and you don't come out of those without, you know, some kind of effect. Right. And mm -hmm. and I think. That's why the metaphor of, of Jacob's limp just is really powerful to me because, um, I, like I, I love what you just said about it not being you know, kind of you know, um, disparaging towards disabilities. It's actually mm -hmm. like it's this it's this mark of um, I survived this damn thing, you know, and yeah. um, and and go and now go and continue to do this work, right? And and Jacob gets a whole new vo vocation right through that. And I think maybe that's what, you know, as you and I have talked, and I think a lot of other folks, um, you know, who we've interviewed on this podcast and, and listeners probably can um, identify with that, right? That mm -hmm. deconstruction, this this business is not easy. It can be painful and it may leave you um, with some scars, but those scars are the marks of a survivor, right? Mm -hmm. And, and not, not something that makes you less in any way. Well, and that's the thing, you know, sometimes those are visible scars and um, sometimes they're they're not like, you know, part of my yeah. issues with chronic illness. Um, I have stage four endometriosis that, you know, we removed and there's so much scar tissue inside that mm. um, I didn't know about. You know, I just thought everybody dealt with that pain. But um, that's the kind of scarring inside that, you know, sometimes we don't know that it's all there until it starts to come out and we talk about it, we engage with others and um, you notice all of those things and find ways to hold that and to keep going. Um, you know, hopefully like that's, that's mm -hmm. my hope mm -hmm. for us is that we can hold that scar tissue and say, this is, this is where I've been. This is who I am. And um, where are we? What's, what's next in our journey. And that takes yeah. a sense of like, being able to to zoom out a little bit from our own personal um, narrative to say, I have space inside my soul enough that I can see my journey. Yeah. Um, which is hard when you're in the thick of it, you know? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that kind of, um, that kind of leads me to, you know, a, a little bit more into what we've been talking about, about this, this whole changing shape of deconstruction or the changing pace of deconstruction. Um, because I think, you know, if deconstruction even has kind of become a word that a lot of people are now kind of trying to run away from. And it, it admittedly has become an overused kind of buzzword in some sectors. I haven't found a better word for what we're experiencing. There. You know, I just haven't found one yet. Um, but but one of the things that, that does kind of give me some context, Richard Rohr talks a lot about this process of order to disorder to reorder right? That, that we have this sort of original order within our lives and everything is um, kind of very well controlled. And, um, and this is speaking really broadly and generally, I know not everybody has this experience, but, but in general, like you have um, this, this sense of control over things, this sense of even comfort to an extent. Um, but something will happen through the course of your life. Um, that will cause you to start questioning the order, right? Um, because so much of that that first order, it's necessary, but a lot of it is also kind of artificial. Um, it's 
artificial is maybe not the best word, but it's something that usually gets imposed on us. It's embedded. Yeah, embedded, yeah, yeah or inherited, right, mm-hmm. it, within some faith traditions. And um, so we get to this point where if we're going to grow, we have to, I guess, have the courage maybe, um, or, or we get forced into it through some traumatic event, one or the other, into this period of disorder. Um and I think a lot of times, try especially in religious circles, I think, you know, um, spiritual trauma and religious abuse and things like that will force people into that disorder mm-hmm. phase. Some of us are privileged, I guess, enough to be able to sort of do that on our own terms. Um, but but regardless, when that disorder hits, like you and you start questioning everything that you have been taught, right? Um, it, it does, it like, it feels like you're standing on, you know, wet sand that's shifting under your feet a lot of times and how are you going to stay stable there it's almost you know we we look at the situation and it no longer holds the same meaning that it did right so we are renegotiating the meaning making of our spiritual journey and um as we do that one of the metaphors that i got in my um clinical pastoral education um from my instructor matt johnson whoop whoop celebrate um so one of the images that my uh CPE instructor, the clinical pastoral education, um, gave me was the metaphor of the ocean. And um, he used it in specifics to our journey with grief that, you know, when Mm. we're so inundated in grief, we're like, we're being overtaken by the water. And as we learn to handle our grief and to sit with it and to, to step away, we become closer to the shore. And then as we um, process that, you know, sometimes we can stand on the shoreline and re-enter the ocean with other folks as, as they're handling their grief. But I also see that in spiritual deconstruction, right? The ways that, that we come out and, and at the beginning it's, it's overwhelming, right? You don't Mm -hmm. know what to do with all of the questions and anchor and such, but we begin to, to process through that. And I know that image doesn't work for everybody, but it's been really meaningful for me um, to be able to, even just wade for a while and to say, I know it's still there and it crops up, waves happen and I'm rooted mm-hmm. in the sand right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I, I've always kind of described my own deconstruction process as wave after wave, you know, like there was this sort of an, and, and honestly the waves get harder to define, I think as they go along um, sure. because it becomes just more nuanced. Right. And um but at first, you know, the first wave was just this sort of deconstruction of um, just sort of baseline beliefs, like the those inherited beliefs that you've never really questioned before, um, you know, the doctrines of heaven and hell and, and is Satan real and things like that. Right. Um, and then like after that, I had I remember really clearly when the next wave that kind of hit because I kind of thought, all right, I'm I've worked through that and I'm still here. And, um, and there, there was probably a period there where I did, you know, you'd said something earlier about not really losing your faith altogether. Um, I, I also did not lose mine altogether, but I, I learned that I had to hold open the possibility that I might, and that that would be okay if I did. Um, and, and I think it was about that time that my deconstruction sort of shifted to what I've, I've referred to as an ecclesial or ecclesiastical deconstruction. So a deconstruction Ooh, of the church. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of what we mean by church, right? And 
um, and faith, what faith communities really mean and, and why do we do what we do as an institution, for instance. Um, and so, you know, that, that deconstruction work went on for a long time. Um, and then the next wave was this deconstruction around language. Um, as I started, and, and as a former English major, I'm, I shouldn't be surprised, you know, because <laughs> words words are sort of my, you know, stock and trade. Your nerd space. My nerd space, yeah. And uh, But I started to notice how unhelpful a lot of our language around God and the divine, and so to the point where, um, like, to even use the name God became very, very difficult for me for a long time, because I thought, I just kept thinking, I don't mean the same thing by that word as you think I mean by that word, right? Right. You don't, and, yeah, yeah, the God, the Father versus, you know, creator of the universe versus all-encompassing energy yeah. versus, right, yeah, right, so right, many yeah. options. Yeah, and and so, you know, and, and like, just, you know, pronouns for God, even male pronouns for God, especially, yeah. you know, Same. like trying to deconstruct all of that language to try to be more inclusive. Um, and, and you, you know, you can get really deep <laughs> into that rabbit hole to the point where I, and I think this happened to me, like I got to a point where I was, I had to either reinvent language or just, and what, what really happened was I just finally said, like, I just have to accept that the commonly held language is as good a metaphor for this as any, Mm -hmm. but I can only think of it as a metaphor. I just can't think of it, you know, like literally, you know, um, but as metaphorical language, it works just fine, you know? Um, I mean, except for the like non-inclusive stuff, but you know, to, to refer to the divine presence with the name God, that's okay. Um, I still don't mean the same thing by that as, you know, other folks might mean, but right. Yeah. I, I think for me, like the, the language thing has been really um, big for me, especially in the way that I understand God. You know, growing up, um, it was hard for me to imagine God the Father because while I, I know of an image of a father and I had experience with my father, you know, having him gone immediately from my life at 11, mm. I was like, what does this image look like? I, I don't, yeah. I can't even conceive of a father in this way. So yeah, yeah. Um, for me, I, I've had a lot of struggle with language over the years and, you know, through my work in the hospital, I've come to meet people in that and to understand that though my understanding of that language is different, that um, that's that's their work right now. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's not the most pressing concern at the time. And that was a little bit freeing for me to know that they had value in the words that they were saying and that I had mine and it was okay that they were different. So I didn't, I didn't need that kind of security in the same way, but at the same time, if I'm producing content or if I'm doing things and writing liturgies, I'm still using the very best language that yeah. I can fathom. Right. Um, but it does make it hard to to worship in those spaces because mm-hmm. they're not the same language. And it's yeah. the way I come to the meeting is so very different than other folks. So, right. Right. Um, and, you know, we've talked about this with other clergy colleagues that, you know, going to worship is a very different experience. And I think mm. when languages are deconstruction wave, that becomes an an extra barrier to yeah, that. So yeah. finding new ways of worship and finding ways that fill that spiritual void without um, the pressure to say, I'm going to go sit and worship just because I need to. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I totally get that. Um, I, I want to move, you know, because I think we could talk about this for a long time, but I do want to kind of keep it. Yeah, <laughs> and we will, you know, we, we've got plenty of episodes that, that this stuff can come out. Um, but I do want to talk a little bit about this idea of um, reconstruction or, or reorder, you know, to use yeah. words language. Because I think what I'm seeing a lot sort of in the deconstruction space, you know, around us, um, if you want to call it deconstruction community or whatever, I'm not really sure that that's, um, I don't know that there's a deconstruction community. Um, but I, I'm starting to see because, I think because people are getting a little weary of the language around deconstruction, I think that's part of it. But also because so many people have now been in that for for a period of time, like there, it seems like there was sort of this, you know, just to kind of continue the wave metaphor. I think we saw in the last, I don't know, 10, maybe 15 ish years, um, sort of a wave of people who have kind of got on board for lack of a better way of saying that, you know, with, with this whole deconstruction language, um, you know, to the point where we're, you know, we've certainly seen a lot of pushback, um, especially from like the evangelical, um, traditions, you know, the, the whole slippery slope, you know, and, if yeah. you don't believe what I believe, you're going straight to hell kind of bullshit. But Straight to hell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, straight to jail meme. It's in there. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I, I'm starting to see now, you know, a, a lot of talk, you know, um, in, in podcasts and um, online spaces about, you know, like, well, you know, we, we've been doing this deconstruction thing for a while, like... So let's move towards reconstruction. And that that's okay. Like, I don't have any real problem with that. Except that, I mean, what you, what you said earlier, I think we have to remember there's a caveat. Reconstruction may not be the end result of your deconstruction, right? Um, yeah. I, I used to say, um, and, and, you know, you just kind of look the way you've learned things over time. It, when I was kind of in the early stages of deconstruction, I there there always was sort of a unspoken goal of reconstruction like i yeah. it wasn't really like i'm going to do this deconstruction work and then i'm going to do reconstruction right it, but it was, you wanted a faith that worked yeah yeah and it was and it was always sort of a an integrated process like as mm-hmm. i was deconstructing some things i was reconstructing other yeah. th- like it's it's hard to pull those two things um apart and i think that roar's language of order disorder reorder is maybe a little more helpful when you kind of think of it that way. Um, but I used to say like, you know, without kind of a way, a shorter way to say it without reconstruction, deconstruction will lead you to nihilism. Mm. And um, I don't, I don't really believe that that's true anymore. I did for a while. Um, and I used to use that quote in, in a lot of different contexts. Um, but I, yeah, I, I now, I, I, I think there's a legitimate, end to deconstruction or or path of deconstruction that doesn't lead you to putting, you know, the pieces back together that might lead you completely away from whatever, you know, definition of faith and spirituality you once had into a place where that's just not really, you know, part of who you are anymore. Um, And I I think those of us, yeah, and those of us who are still kind of within the institutional space, I think have to acknowledge that that is a legitimate choice right um and that and that it's not our job to convince anyone otherwise um all we can do is tell our stories and make space for other people to tell their stories right well and that's that's the thing the giving of space for folks to take authority whether that means for them that 
you know, the meaning of their life is in their loved ones. The meaning of their life is in social, um, like the work of the people in your area, like Appalachia or whether, um, you know, you find meaning in different ways other than just the spiritual trappings. Um, and I, you know, fully acknowledge that sometimes the trauma is too heavy to go back. And, um, I'm not, I'm not saying that that's, you know, I, I grieve for that and I understand that that's real for people. Mm -hmm. Um, and for me that, that wasn't the case, but you know, there's still this opening of a window that that's not the only locus of my life for meaning, right? It is one of the many facets that, you know, my relationships with family and friends, my, my connection to my community, my, et cetera, all of that is an expression of my faith and my faith is one, one facet, right? It's not the whole picture. Yeah. 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 There's, um, one of the things I've started to notice, um, and it's probably been happening for a while, and I'm just kind of starting to find some language. Yeah, yeah, or get some language around it. Um, is is this whole? Uh, it's a it's a more holistic look at things. Like you know, when you say, um, "Yeah, this is one aspect of who I am." Right? This mm-hmm. my faith, my spirituality is one aspect of who I am. Um, I, yeah, I totally agree with that. And and the way I've kind of started to see it again, just I can only speak for myself, is that I've started to notice that that I, I can't really compartmentalize that, which I didn't realize I was doing. Like, I think early on, even like even pre-deconstruction, there was a sense that that I was or we were collectively kind of compartmentalizing our faith and our spirituality away from the rest of our life. And and that sort of integration mm-hmm. was part of my early deconstruction was seeing how like, Oh no, these, you can't really pull those things apart. There is not the sacred and the profane, you know, there's not, yeah. there, you know, there's not anything that's not sacred. Right? Rob Bell's right. old, old, everything is spiritual video always comes to mind when I talk about that. Um, for, for us Gen Xers in the crowd that remember Rob Bell. Yeah. I have no <laughs> idea what you're talking about, but all it's right. <laughs> um, but, yeah, just to kind of see now on, on the reorder side, right, that, um, yeah, that this stuff is, it still is important to me, but not in a siloed way or not in a way that I can even go to a church service or something to celebrate. It, it's become, um, it's become so ingrained in my persona now that I just, I can't, I can't tease it out from everything else, right? Um so yeah, it is just a part, but it's not even a distinguishable part. It it bleeds into yeah. all of the other parts, and the all the, the other parts also bleed into my spirituality. Like I can't. It's I can't. the integration of all yeah, of those yeah. pieces that you know I I am a spiritual being, and that affects all of the avenues, not just when I'm at church or when I'm talking about faith or when I'm yeah. going through committees. And I I think that's that's kind of the goal, right? Like in in my work, I'm going to keep talking about chaplaincy because that's what I do. Yeah, yeah. It's my life now. Um, We talk about the goal of a residency. You want to learn the things and you want to integrate them into you and your work um, so that you are able to bring all of the facets of yourself. And I think that applies to the spirituality that 
you know, we, we talk about what was embedded, right. What I got, what, um, what version of software I was given Mm, and then also what software updates I'm getting. And yes, I'm referring to myself as a computer (laughs) here, but you know, what kind of overhaul of overhaul of the system do I need windows eight windows 12, you know, but, um, those are integrated into me now as I am. And I feel so freed in that, um, in the reconstruction because it is different. It, it, I don't feel the constant loom of, I don't have this settled and I don't, you know, the distress of it is not the primary moving piece, but um, the freedom of exploration and looking towards um, the future of being with other people is for me really refreshing. Yeah. Yeah. That, um, that kind of triggered a a thought that really wasn't in my head before I heard you say that, that, that what what we're seeing happening you know you're t- you're talking about your work as a chaplain what i've been doing institutionally is a lot of work around what we're calling fresh expressions right or mm-hmm. this this whole idea of creating you know kind of um contextual faith communities micro communities um that aren't really they don't really look like church in any traditional sense but they are spiritual spaces where people are coming together and growing together and um and Everything you just said, I think, really lends itself well to what we're seeing, especially in the United Methodist Church, but not um, not exclusively in the United Methodist Church around this fresh expression movement, where we're, we're finally putting our money where our mouth has been for a long time. It's, you know, we mm-hmm. for decades we've been hearing, oh, the church has to get outside of the building, right? We, yeah. The church has left the building. Remember those T-shirts that were really popular? But don't go to Wild Goose. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't do any of that crazy shit, you know? <laughs> not too wild. Not, not yeah. too crazy. Yeah, don't go to a bar. Don't go to a tattoo parlor. And now, and now we see these, you know, faith communities are coming out of bars and tattoo parlors and yeah. all of these non-traditional spaces. And I think what you were saying about integration is part and parcel of that whole movement that that we're starting to learn that the real value is is in um, is in relationships and not just in mm-hmm. some sort of doctrinal purity or whatever, you know. Um, that that what really matters is the way our lives integrate with other people's lives. And I think that's that kind of makes me um think about how many of us in in sort of the deconstruction space seem to be drawn into liberation theology. Mm-hmm. Um it, it because I think as you start to realize the interconnectedness not just of all humans, but you know, the interconnectedness of all things. And you really start to internalize that on a spiritual level and not just sort of an, it's easy to do that on an intellectual level, I think. Right. Um, Because we can observe the processes of nature and we can say, you know, we can see all of that interdependence of of things. Um, But then when we start to read, you know, about things like quantum entanglement, right. The things that are happening on molecular levels. um, And, that you start to think about, or at least I do, um, the ways that our systems and structures are um, disadvantaging, systemically mm-hmm. disadvantaging some people um, mm-hmm. in favor of other people, right? And I think that's been a big part of deconstruction for a lot of folks is saying, you know, 
we, we, a lot of us grew up in these traditions that said, you know, Christians are exceptional, right? They are, they are God's chosen people. Um, They're moral perfection. Right. They, they get, you know, and even if we say, oh, I'm not perfect, but I'm working, you know, all of that bumper stuff. But you're one of those good, good Christians. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and, um, we, we have this exclusive right to, you know, an afterlife that other people don't have, whatever. And yeah. it's just when, when you really kind of, yeah, it's, when you start <laughs> to unpack that, all of that language, it's the language of abusers, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's the language of um, control. empire. Yeah, control, yeah. empire, right? Um, that, I that, have the authority and you do not. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's when that's been again doctrinally beat into you for you know your your whole life or the you know the time that you first came into the the um institution it's it's hard right to break and that's part of why deconstruction is hard because you have to unlearn things you know we talk about um james fowler's stages of um spiritual development a lot here at accidental tomatoes and and one of the reasons that i talk about it a lot is i have yet to see anything that makes more sense um you know this whole idea of how the early stages are necessary. Like it's, it's the only mm-hmm. way to get where you're going, but at some point you have to step out of, or, you know, traumatically be forced out of um, your presuppositions in order to grow into, you know, higher levels of consciousness, I guess, just for, for lack of a better way of putting it, um, which sounds very elitist and I don't mean it that way. Um, but I think we, as we become more aware, you know, of our own, um, spiritualities, we become more aware of what what authentic encounters with divine presence looks like. Um, we start to realize that that there is no way anyone should ever be left out of that, and any system that by any means leaves people out of that is an unjust system, right? And so we, I think that's part of why we're all kind of drawn—not all of us, but many of us—are kind of drawn into, you know, this, um, you know, social justice spaces and. Um, yeah, liberation I, theology. Yeah, I think there's like a there's a tension there. You know, in my mind, with the stages, Fowler stages, there's room for folks to continue that work, and then there's room for folks to kind of, in a good Methodist term, backslide. You know, to kind yeah, of yeah. to move backwards in terms of what's comfortable for them, rather than continuing to pursue that that um, inner turmoil or you know motivation, and you know, I see the cycle of it. It's almost like if you take a, a coil and turn it sideways, like you're still encountering the same yeah. the same conversation, but as you move through the coil, you're in a different space than you were right. before. Yeah. And you know, it, the way that we access that, you know, the the injustice of water in Appalachia is still gonna be there and my perspective about it has changed. Mm-hmm. And so what am I what am I doing about that as I continue to unpack my faith? What does it look like to continue to call out the crisis of water here? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And to try to bring people out of their like collective slumber sometimes, you know, I, yeah. there, there are good and faithful people. Um, and we've seen, we've witnessed this firsthand in West Virginia, right. Um, with, with our friend and colleague, Brad Davis and some of the work he's doing boop, boop. down in the, in the coal fields, Brad obviously been p- part of the podcast and accidental tomatoes here for a while, but um, you know, we've seen that like a lot of us have just kind of been asleep to, you mm-hmm. know, like the water crisis in, McDowell County and Wyoming County, some of those places. And um, 
to the economic injustices. And that, and that one of the reasons that, um, you know, as you and I've been kind of talking about this sort of Appalachian focus going forward is we have all of these intersections, you know, of, of economic injustice, of racial injustice, of gender mis you know, yeah. injustice, gender um, and sex. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, environmental injustice. Like there, there's all of these intersections exist here. Um, but, a lot of us have just sort of even even those of us who live in Appalachia, right, um, have sort of inherited this view of, um, you know, it's just poor white folks here, um, poor white straight folks, you know, and um, that's economically like yeah. advisable for the one, you know, the one that's creating the order. You don't want dissidents. You want yeah, folks yeah. that are yes men and yes women. And so coming out of that into our own consciousness or out of sleep, you know, takes a while and takes a lot of work, but it, it seems like, um, at least from what I've noticed over the past couple of years, there's really been a, um, or maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm, I've changed enough that I'm noticing those things and that's okay too. Yeah, um, yeah. there's a real, like, like you said, renaissance and resurgence and folks not wanting to leave and finding ways to stay so that the people can continue on. Um, yeah, yeah. and that, that I mean, that speaks to me because I've literally found a way to stay. And um, I understand that folks have to leave, you know, sure, because yeah. West Virginia bleeds people. Um, but at the same time, what is it like to be conscious now of those things to stay and to um, look at it differently than I did before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and I think that's true. It, th this is not just an Appalachian phenomenon, but I think it's... Um, it's it's really obvious in Appalachia that there are so sure. many people, like you just said, that are that feel like they have to leave. You know, if they want to have the kind of life they want to have, they can't do it here. And that is a legitimate and understandable decision. But I think there's also a lot of us, and I feel like the number is starting to grow of people who are saying, you know, yeah, maybe if I leave, I might have different opportunities and that might even appear to be better opportunities or whatever but I can make a difference if I stay. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, and if, if a difference is going to be made in this place, some of us have got to stay and work at it. Right. Yeah. Um, it's gotta be me. Yeah. 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 And, or it's gotta be us anyhow, you know, yeah, collective, we, right? I, I have to be part of this collective anyhow. And, um, I, that's where I get a lot of encouragement is seeing Ooh, that gave me chill bumps. <laughs> I do. I mean, seeing that there is kind of a growing tide of people, maybe not numerically. You know, I think if you looked at the at the data, you know, we're still in population decline and and will be oh, probably sure. for a while. But the people who are choosing to stay and are choosing to make a difference, um, are are doing some really really good and important work, right? And yeah. Um, and some of those folks, you know, are, are people you and I've talked about trying to have on as guests here, um, so we mm -hmm. can start to you know introduce them to more. To more folks and, and get their work out a little bit more, although they certainly don't need us to do it, but anything. Sure. <laughs> Any way we could help. Yeah. If this is our space to try to help from, then, then I think maybe that's kind of what we feel like we need to be doing. But um, yeah. Yeah. So, 
Heather, this has been such an, like a, we could go on forever. Um, I, think, I know, I, right? I, I feel like I <laughs> How many that. rabbit holes can we find? I know, I know, I know. But <laughs> but people will only listen to us go on for so long. That's true. <laughs> so, yeah. Until next episode. Until next, that's right. We can't do it all in one episode. We've, we've got a lot <laughs> more to do. So any uh, any final thoughts for, for the good of the cause before we wrap this one up? Well, thanks for listening, folks. I hope that, um, you know, you kind of see the space we're in now and um, the kind of, you know, future oriented space that we are maybe touching the tip of that iceberg. And um, I just I'm really grateful for the space because it feels fruitful and life giving in ways that Mm. um, I feel regenerated by. And I hope for other folks that it gives you something to chew on. Preach on, preacher. Good stuff. (laughs) Good stuff. Well, folks, as always, you can find all of our episodes of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast as well as uh, our ongoing blog um, at accidentaltomatoes.com. You can also catch this podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. We're on all of the platforms. I don't even know. We're Catch me on all the platforms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're on on the Apple and we're on the Spotify and I don't even know where all we are, right? We're on the fruits (laughs) and vegetables. That's right. So yeah, catch us there and leave us, if you could leave us a, a, a rating and a review that, that really helps other folks to find us and, and it helps us to kind of gauge, um, you know, how well our work is resonating with you. So, so we invite you to jump in uh, and you can always send us an email at accidentaltomatoes at gmail.com or find us on the socials, um, which primarily for this old man means Facebook, <laughs> but <laughs> But we are we are on some of the other ones. Um, I, I was just gonna say I'm not... on the Twitter. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's or right. X, excuse me. Oh, um, yeah. I'm on Twitter, Instagram. You know, we're doing the things. But yeah, I, um, I'm on all of those things. I'm just I I am not using them very well yet. So. You're doing the old man book. I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, that's I'm willing. Okay. To, I'm willing to work at it. Um, but I'm I'm more willing to surround myself with people who know better than me how to do those <laughs> things. <laughs> That's I, when I turned sixty last year. I had this conversation with my wife about. I have to figure out what kind of old man I'm going to be now. Like, Ooh, <laughs> that's, you're a, I think you're a walking cane, like sandals <laughs> not walking cane but like a walking stick like not quite gandalf because you'd have a, a hippie, little, hippie gandalf hippie gandalf hippie, maybe. hippie gandalf with maybe a, a nice beer. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. For I sure. For you. For sure. All right, friends. Well, thanks again as always for listening uh to our podcast. Uh we will be back soon. We're still working on a schedule. Um so episodes may be a little sporadic as we work that out. Um but we we are glad to be um over the hiatus and uh, back to Woo-hoo. work and Heather's so happy to have you uh as a as a partner in this journey. Uh, I learn so much every time I talk to you. Uh, I just I feel really grateful Likewise. to have you as a, a friend and colleague. So. Until next time, join us again for another brand new episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. <laughs>